Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. The, the, the title of the message today is Be True to Yourself. Be true to yourself. And I believe that God wants to speak something specific to us. And I, I want you to, to take note of this, that as we journey through this message, I want you to ask the Lord to reveal to you areas that there might be a misconception in this particular genre. So I, I've intentionally left out some specifics or examples, because sometimes when we give examples, uh, you may not fit into one of those examples, and then therefore you may think that it doesn't apply to me. But I want you to be really sensitive today to what God is speaking to you, and, uh, and let's see what the Lord does. Sound good? Well, Father, we thank you so much this morning, God, for your word. I pray that you would transform us. Uh, Lord, truly our heartbeat is to see you clearly, Jesus. I pray that it wouldn't be a demonstration of uh, clever speech, but of your power, that our faith and our hope would not rest on man's wisdom, but on the power of God. And so, Father, we ask that your word would prevail in our hearts and would accomplish everything that you've set it out to do. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, super excited um, as we dive into the series because I, I think it, it speaks to a lot of areas that we're wrestling with and battling uh, with in culture today. A, a lot of misconceptions. But, but ha have, you ever, have you ever lost or, or felt like you weren't very clear on who you were called to be? Like, maybe your identity just felt like, man, I don't really know where I fit. I don't know where I'm supposed to land here. I remember a gentleman, it was in 1986, and he had a photo shoot, a professional photo shoot, and hoping to land a good commercial gig. Unfortunately, that didn't happen for him. But about 15 years later, he was walking past, let me show you, he was walking past the, the Nescaf Taster's Choice, and he recognized that his photo was on the coffee. The same photo that he took in 1986, which he never got a call from, but they'd been using his photo ever since to promote their product. Now, after several legalities, he won about $15 million in a lawsuit. Having you know that was a great, great moment for him. So grateful that they didn't call him. But, but the truth of the matter is, it really pays to know who you are. I, I think, uh, better said, it pays to know whose you are. Because we live in a day that's, that's really interesting. It, it's funny because identity theft is on the rise. About 9 million people get their identity stolen every single year. And so, with that in mind, let, let me show you a picture Cyber has kind of changed the game here as well. And so we're so careful. We're so careful on where we uh, distribute our social security number or our driver's license. We don't even like to give away our addresses or emails because we know we're going to get blown up. Phone numbers, how many of you guys, even now on your cell phones, get solicitors? Come on. It used to be safe, but it's not safe anymore. And so as a result of that, we've taken a lot of precautions. Some people even have even gone to the degree to pay for a service just in case their identity is stolen, a service like LifeLock, where you actually get insurance just in case because it happens so often. And once your identity is stolen, how many of you guys know it's a mess to fix? 
people take your checks and money and your identity. They open credit cards. It just becomes a disaster. And so LifeLock will actually pay um, a, a large sum of money to really restore you back to a right state. And, and I think the, the scary part is, is we work really, really hard these days on making sure that our identity is protected in regards to um, naturally. But we, we do have an enemy of our soul that is really working hard on our identity. He would love to hack into our hearts and to our minds to cause confusion, distortion, uh, he loves to bring a lack of clarity. He definitely doesn't want you to understand who you are and whose you are. He does not want you to connect with everything and, and everything that God has called you to and everything that God has called of you. He wants to rob. And, and I think the tough part is, is he makes things sound really good. Like he, he does this th through many times in our culture through misconceptions. Things that appear to be safe, things that may even have a little bit of truth in them, but if we're not careful, we can be deceived in the process. See, one of the misconceptions I think in our culture is, is a statement, and it goes like this, be true to yourself. Now, there's a little bit of truth in that, right? Like, like if you're out with friends and you don't like ice cream and they're pushing you to get some ice cream, be true to yourself. Tell them no. I don't, I don't like ice cream, right? There, there is some truth in this. But I, I think it, it, it's gotten distorted in a way that's actually now considered for us a misconception. A misconception of what this phrase actually means. See, the world says today that, and culture will tell you that be true, being true to yourself is really the way to happiness. It's the way to fulfillment. I think Shakespeare said it best. He said, to thine own self be true. And I think that sentiment has kind of creeped into our culture in, in a very distinct way. Now, there's a Canadian philosopher. Let me show you. His name is Charles Taylor. And he, he declares that we live in the age of authenticity, the age of just being authentic, right? Brene Brown uh, is killing it on vulnerable. Just, just be yourself, like you know, just, and, and there's a lot of truth in all of that. How many of you guys have seen that Netflix? Anybody see Brene Brown on Netflix? Okay. Um, and and there, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. But, but in, this, in this age of authenticity, what, what it really says is we all have a unique way of being ourselves, And that we are free to give to, uh, expression to any desires that we have within us. It sounds great. And there might even be a little bit of truth there. But I, leave, I believe that it's, it's gotten really distorted and it's, it's now a, a misconception. Because now really the, the only standard in, in this day or in the age of authenticity, the only standard to judge is now really internal to the person themselves. In other words, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. No one should tell anyone how to live. Because it's all based internally upon how that individual believes that he or she should live. Now, now I, I, I get it, and I understand where people are coming from, but that poses a very big problem when it comes to morality. Because in light of this, we're not able to call evil, evil. Like, like 
we're not able to call out what's really wrong because is it really wrong? So let me give you an example. Let me show you. Uh, everybody's familiar with this man? And see, un under this age of authenticity, if we take this, you just being true to yourself, whatever internal desires that you have, just go ahead and, and go for it. It's okay. The only standard that you are to be judged by is what's inside of you. Then in reality, we cannot call genocide evil. What we really have to say is the Nazis were simply just fulfilling the desires that they had within their hearts. And so none of us would say, hey, like, that's true. Most of us would say, no, that was horrific. Genocide is not okay. I remember having a conversation with a lady in Costco, and she was a professor at MIT. And she said, you know what you pastors really need to preach about is you need to preach against ISIS. And her, her basis of belief was evolution. And I said, why, why, would, why would we do that? Why would you encourage me to do that? See, under your philosophy, we should actually be encouraging them. Because it's survival of the fittest. Do as you see fit. Dominate. Fulfill the desires that are within you. And she was like, well, uh, I, don't just, I don't know about any of this stuff, right? Because he, here, here's the trouble. is to assume evil is to assume good. To assume good is to assume that there's a moral law. To assume a moral law is to assume that there's a moral law giver. In other words, God. And that's why a lot of people come to me and say, man, with all this evil in the world, I just can't believe that God exists. And I love what Ravi Zacharias said. He says it this way. When you say there is too much evil in this world, you assume there is good. When you assume there is good, you assume there is such thing as a moral law on the basis of which to differentiate between good and evil. But if you assume a moral law, you must posit a moral law giver. But that's who you are trying to disprove and not prove. Because if there is no moral law giver, then there's no moral law. If there's no moral law, there is no good. If there is no good, there is no evil. What is your question? <laughs> so good, right? And so, so I, I, I say all of that to say that's kind of an extreme case. With Hitler, but you see that it poses a great problem. And so, if we're not careful in an attempt to be true to ourselves, we can actually deceive ourselves of what's really right and what's really true. And in light of that, what do we do? We start building our life. Let me show you a picture. Anybody ever try to build these blocks? Now, I got little girls, so we build blocks all the time. And it's the, the stack always starts off really good. But it doesn't last very long, right? It starts leaning, leaning, leaning. And all of a sudden you put that top one on, it just crumbles. Or sometimes my kids now, they'll just come up and smack. Um, they don't even let me build, you know. And I get really into it. I'm like, I'm going to build the biggest one. And I'm competing against my three-year-old and all that good stuff. But we start to build on something that's faulty. Something that sounds good, but is a misconception. You see, in reality, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Is that God's will... For us, is, God's will is not for us to conform into the image of our own true self, but into the image of the one true God. And, and I, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8 that really says this so clearly. It says, for God foreknew, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You see, God's will for us is that we conform more and more into his image, not our own. 
Anytime that we've tried to conform into our own image, uh, it always goes south. It's, it's like building blocks. It, it lasts for a moment and then eventually it, it crumbles. Now, again, that doesn't mean that, you know, there's not any truth in that statement. Because, yeah, if you don't like cookie dough, tell somebody. I'm not a big fan of cookie dough. Don't, don't feel pressured in those regards. But I'm talking about the very foundation of our life, how we're building our life. Because Proverbs says very clearly from the wisest man that ever lived that there is a, a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. What he's saying is there's some misconceptions that we have. And if we're not careful and attempts to be true to ourselves, we're going to deceive ourselves and everything crumble. And so if we were created in the image of God, and as we come to Christ, God places his spirit in us to conform us more and more into the image of Jesus. I think the beautiful way that this happens is, is found in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, check it out. It says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so it's the Spirit of God living on the inside of us as followers of Jesus that works in us as we behold the beauty of Jesus through the Word of God, the the Holy Spirit begins to transform us more and more into the image of Christ, into the image of the Son. And, and that's, this is why this is, this, is, this is so beautiful, yet the enemy works so hard to keep us from beholding. Because if he can keep us from beholding, many times he can keep us from believing. So in a lot of ways, he doesn't care what you're gazing upon, just don't gaze upon the truth. Just don't gaze upon the beauty of Jesus, because what will happen is transformation. And so he knows very well that if he can distract us from beholding, he can discourage us from believing. And so he works so hard on this, that you and I would not be conformed into the image of the Son. Now, here's the great thing, is that the enemy can't steal your identity, but he will work really hard to get you to forfeit it. He will work really hard to get you to not walk in it and leave you with misconceptions that you begin to live your life based on something that is really not true. And in, in the attempts of being true to ourselves, we end up deceiving ourselves, building our life on something that won't last. And so I think we see a great picture of this in the book of Haggai. It's kind of a random book. Anybody read Haggai lately? Didn't think so. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a book in the Old Testament. It's, it's written by um, the prophet Haggai, one of the, the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And I, I want to give you a little bit of context. So the people of Israel had been taken captive by the Babylonians under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. They, they were in captivity for 70 years. Again, as slaves, bondage. Uh, well, the Persians overthrow the Babylonians, and under the reign of King Cyrus, he releases the people of God back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple so that they could be free to worship and rebuild the city. Well, they get back. They've been in captivity for a long time, and, and they start off really well. Everything is in ruins, and they start off, you know, trying to establish some worship, and 
They get about a month in, and the temple has a foundation, but then they stop. They stop building. They, stop, they start getting discouraged. They're being mocked by enemies. They're being harassed. And so it was just so easy for them. It was a great start, but it didn't last very long. What ended up happening was these guys, they stopped beholding. And they got discouraged from believing. And so what ended up happening was they began to turn from beholding the Lord to beholding themselves. And it, it, nothing was really wrong in the sense of it wasn't like they were in dire straits. But in this process, they failed to be fruitful. It was like they were just always striving. They were planting, but the harvest was, was minimal. They, they were working hard, and it seemed like their labor was in vain. It was just this, this toil of, of life. And if you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. What ended up happening is that their lives took priority over God's glory. And so they're just wrestling, trying to, to figure out life, and they were doing their own thing and avoiding the God thing, and, and so they started to build on something that was faulty. And we see some distractions that I believe the enemy loves to use to distract us. And there's three of them that I, I want to point out to you today that I, I believe will help you. See, I want to expose, I'm praying that the Lord would expose any areas where we've started to get our focus off of God's glory and just onto our own life as a priority. There's nothing wrong with being concerned about your life. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But there's something amazing that when God gets glory, he gets what he deserves and we get what we need. But if you get those priorities mixed up, it doesn't mean that you're not going to live life. It just means that you're not going to live it to the fullest. You're not going to live it to the fullest. And I'm not saying that if you follow Jesus, this isn't a prosperity gospel. Everything's just going to go your way. But I'm saying that when we begin to, to put him first, it opens an enrichment of spiritual blessing on so many different levels that make life really worth living. It starts to make a lot of sense in that place. But the enemy wants to do whatever he can to distract us from beholding. Because if he can distract us from beholding, he can discourage us. From believing, and many times he uses three distractions that, that I, I want to highlight to you today. And the first one is this if you're taking notes, jot this down. He loves to distract us with excuses. With excuses. Let me show you the passage here in Haggai. It says, These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came through Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses? While this house lies in ruins? Now, I want you to filter this two ways. Now, obviously, we would consider this the house of God uh, in conversation. But this is only the house of God because we are here. Um, in the sense of this is just the building. Uh, if, if you didn't know this and maybe you're new to church, this is not simply, the, the, the church isn't the building. The church is the people. And Paul says very clearly to the Corinthian church that now... Before, there was a temple where we would have to go and worship in the Old Testament. But now, as a result of Christ's crucifixion, death and resurrection, man, as followers of Jesus, God places his spirit on the inside of us. And what the Lord says now is we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are now the temple where God dwells. And so I want you to see this message through those two lenses. Yeah, obviously God has called us to do a work here collectively as the church. 
But also God wants to do a work inside of you. God wants to build um, uh, and, and finish the work that he started in you. Does that make sense? And so a, a lot of times what ends up happening is we can get distracted with excuses. Now, I don't think many times excuses come because we're lazy. Sometimes it does. I just don't want to do it. But even laziness is really a symptom of brokenness. And so I think a lot of times uh, excuses come from a place of brokenness. Now, these people have been in captivity for 70 years. That's a long time. Not to mention they were in a self-centered culture. So much so King Nebuchadnezzar built a huge golden statue of himself saying, worship me. And how many of you guys know bad company corrupts good character? And so these guys hadn't lost their identity, but they started to shift away from who God had called them to be, which was set apart to worship him. They were set free so they could come and rebuild the temple and worship God, but they began to exchange that for worship of themselves. And anytime we, miss, anytime we mix that up, it's just very, very dangerous. And so these guys were, had some brokenness. These guys were wrestling through some things. They had some baggage. And I think a lot of times when we have baggage, it's so much easier to give up than to build. It's so much easier to lay down than to keep pressing. And many times what happens in our brokenness, if it's not dealt with, we just reduce to comfort. Instead of vision, we reduce to comfort instead of mission. We begin to lose sight. We get discouraged. And I think the reason why we get discouraged and we lose sight is because we start to, we, we, we become afraid, don't we? Like, what if this doesn't work? I mean, they were looking at the temple and, and everything that lied in ruins. And they're thinking, how can we build what Solomon built? I mean, we're trying to build kind of this generic kind of a temple. It's never going to compare to Solomon's. And so again, they, they got their eyes off of beholding the glory of the Lord and onto superficial stuff. But it was real. It was like, man, we're discouraged. We don't think that we can do this. We don't want to be disappointed. I mean, come on, don't you think we make excuses sometimes because we don't want to be disappointed? Like if I step out and actually do something, what if it doesn't work? Like what if, what if, what if we end up just what if it stays in ruins? I'd rather just live in a place of disappointment than try to do anything about it, right? I think we make excuses when we lose vision. Because once we lose vision, all we see is obstacles. All we see is, man, there's, there's no way this is going to work. It's, it's just it's, it's a lost effort. Why, why even try? I think we start to make excuses when, when, when we lose faith. Because remember, when we stop beholding, it's really easy to stop believing because we lose sight on the beauty of Jesus and who he is and who he's called us to be. And we get our gaze fixed on something else. And, and if it, this, this is a, kind of a debatable statement, but I think you can catch the heart of it is that many times what you behold, you become. Proverbs says it very clearly that, so, that as a man thinketh, so he becomes. As a man thinks in his heart, so he will be. And so I remember, anybody remember Top Gun? I'm dating myself, right? -na 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 -na. Man, as a kid, I love that movie. And, and I remember, that it's, if you've never heard it, especially if you are young in the house today, you got to watch Top Gun. I, there's a couple of parts you might have to fast forward. But um, 
But it's a story about this pilot that started off with a lot of vision. He was brave. He was daring. He was willing to risk it all and just fighter pilot to the core. And, and in one of their competitions, he got a little bit ambitious. And as a result, he flew into it. He, he, found himself in what was called a flat spin, and they tried to eject. They ejected. He made it, but his buddy died. And then trying to get up in the air and re-engage was super tough for him. And even though there was clear opportunities, even though it was so clearly painted that, yes, you should engage, he would say things like, no, it's not good. It's not a good time. No. No, just no. They're like, Mav. His name was Maverick, right? Engage, engage. He's like, no, no, it's not, it's not a good time. It's not a good time. Breathe it. <gasps> right? It's not a good time. <laughs> and that's what these guys, these guys are, are sitting here and they're saying, it's not a good time to build the house of the Lord, but, but it's a great time to build our house. Let's just reduce to comfort. Let's just build our spot. Let's, I mean, don't even look over there at the temple. Just let's just build our house. Let's just focus on us. Let's just kind of make this happen. Let's try to build something comfortable so we don't have to look at the mess. A lot of times, excuses are rooted in fear. Laziness is a symptom of brokenness. And God had called them so clearly. And so what ends up happening is, is the enemy loves to distract us with excuses because if he can do that, then he can, number two, if you're taking notes, shot this down, he can distract us from evidence. I mean, this was so evident that this was God's will for their life. So evident. I mean, so clearly that Cyrus released the people of God to do what? To go back and worship, to rebuild the city. I mean, he released them to go and to rebuild. He gave them money. He said, hey, here's money for you. Go and rebuild. He said, he, everything that they needed, they were given. Not to mention they were protected on the way from Babylon to Judah with all the treasures for the temple. And so let me just give you this picture in your mind. Everything was painted so clearly for them, not even just in experience, but in the word. Let me show you. It says this, Isaiah the prophet said, When I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will command, rebuild Jerusalem. He will say, restore the temple. God had already spoken. Goes on to say, I will raise up Cyrus to fulfill my righteous purpose, and I will guide his actions. He will restore my city, free my captive people. Without seeking reward, the Lord of heaven's armies has spoken. And I love this last part, future conversion of Gentiles. Meaning that this, this freedom wasn't just simply about worship, worshiping God and their freedom, but it was worshiping God and other people's freedom future conversion of Gentiles. I mean, it was so clear. I got, I, God had made it very plain to them. But they stopped beholding. And so what happened? They stopped believing. See, these, these guys, they, they no longer had faith in the word of God, nor his power to perform what he said. I wonder how many promises we are distracted from today. Things that God has spoken to us and for us that are clearly written down. I mean, we can walk through the scriptures and I can give you a ton of them. But how many of us, how many of us live every single day so distracted by them 
and we're beholding everything else. And we wonder why it's just, it's just not that fruitful. I feel like I'm stacking, but it's always leaning. So many promises that God has given us that, that we're distracted from. I think about all the promises that God has called us to be. God speaks so clearly to our identity of who he has called us to be as his people. Beautiful, precious promises. But can I just tell you today, the enemy has an assault on truth. Because if he can keep you from beholding truth, checkmate. He can't steal your identity, but if you're not walking in truth, you're basically forfeiting it. And so it's almost like, it's almost like this guy is walking down the aisles every single day in Safeway and he doesn't even see his picture. Every single day. Right, or, or every week he's going by, oh, look at new Nestle has a new thing out. Man, same picture for 15 years. That's me. But something happened when he recognized that, whoa, this is me. And, and he started to do some investigation and all of a sudden that paid off. Can I just tell you, when you discovered the precious promises of God and what God has spoken over my identity, over your identity, it pays to know who you are. But there's, there's an assault on truth that you and I have to be so mindful of, so aware of, because many of it, many of the phrases today, they sound right. But there's a misconception. There's a misconception. Third one is this. He begins to then distract us by evasion. So he distracts us by excuses, then he does whatever he can to keep us distracted from the evidence. Just don't want you to capture truth, because if you capture truth, there's freedom in truth. Just don't want you to capture that. But then he distracts us by evasion. Look what the scripture says. It says, you expected much, but behold, it amounted to little. The Lord is saying, hey, how's it working out for you? Being true to yourself. How's it going? He said, and what you brought home, I blew it away. It's like walking home, you got all this wheat, and you go, and then a wind comes. You're like, oh, man, can I get a break? But because my house still lies in ruins, while each of you is busy with his own house. You know, this, this word busy is a very interesting word in the Hebrew. It means to run for and to guard. So it's like, it, what he's saying is you were just running for yours and you're doing whatever you can to guard it. And as a result, you're full of excuses, you're distracted from evidence, and so now you're just evading reality. You're just not even paying attention to it. You're just, I've just got to guard, I've just got to run. i just got to build a, a better paneled house. You know, paneled houses is what king's homes were made of. They, they were building their own kingdom. They were focused on building something opulent for them. And, and see, the thing is, when we stop beholding the glory of the Lord and our life begins to take priority over his glory, what ends up happening is we start to get really selfish. We start to get really self-centered. And then we have a whole other set of issues there. Ask a bunch of married people in the house today. Like selfishness does not work out well. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And again, 
the Lord is, I, I, I want to encourage this. In, in our time today, your life as a follower of Jesus is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Have you been investing there? Have you been running for and guarding the glory of God? Or have you been running for yourself? Have I been running for myself and just trying to guard and protect because it's just this is all that, that, that I got. I, I got to build my own kingdom because this is where everybody says, you know, if I, if I do this, then there, there's going to be this ultimate fulfillment. And I think, again, this happens in subtle ways. It's not always big rocks. Sometimes it's found in excuses. It's found in distraction from evidence. And that leads to an evasion of truth. And I think if we're all honest, man, we've, bought, we've all bought into misconceptions. And, and I think that's important because the Lord in all of this tells them, if you're taking notes, you might want to take a picture of this. The Lord looks at them and says, so I want you to think carefully about your ways. You've planted much, but you've harvested little. What the Lord is saying is just stop and consider, have you exchanged the glory of God for your glory? Have you exchanged the truth of being conformed to the image of God where there's true satisfaction, where there's real joy and sustainability? Or, or have you exchanged that for a focus on being true to yourself and just kind of giving in to whatever you feel or whatever you want to do, however you want it to happen? What is happening on the inside of you? The Lord says, consider your ways. Pause and think carefully about your life and how is it working out for you? And so, so my, my takeaway today is, is it's very simple. And, and you say, well, okay, what, what do I do with this? How, do I, how does this work on Monday for me? And, and really the simple answer is, is, if you're taking notes, jot this down. I just want you to cry out for wisdom. I want you to make this a rhythm of your life. Paul, his prayer for the Ephesian church was that you would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. But I want you to cry out for wisdom because wisdom is... Uh, Solomon said it like this in Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And many times it's the fear of the Lord that's lacking in our life. Hey, let me show you a passage. So he goes on to say, the people ended up obeying the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But can I tell you, fear of the Lord does not start with, um, it does, fear of the Lord does not start with a feeling, it starts with beholding. The fear of the Lord doesn't start with the feeling, I'm just waiting for a feeling so then I could really kind of trust God. I, I just, yeah, no, 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 it doesn't start with a feeling. If you're looking for a feeling in order to like capture the fear of the Lord, you're starting in the wrong place. Fear of the Lord does not start with a feeling, it starts with beholding. And what ended up happening is, is they began to behold the word of the Lord again. They began to take notice, they considered their ways, they, they recognized that what we're doing is fruitless. And the Lord had told them, so go to the forest, grab some timber, and build my house. And they obeyed. They obeyed the word of the Lord. And so, so this is... This is my heartbeat for you today. If you can catch this. A lot of times I think when we think about the fear of the Lord or obedience, it's all about, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? But I think we need to stop and, and understand that the fear of the Lord and trusting in his word isn't just about what God has called you to do. But it's about understanding who he says you are. 
let me explain. Many of us, like Moses, we do have a lot of excuses of why we just feel so insecure about our life. And God comes to Moses and he says, Moses, that's not who I've called you to be. You see yourself with a misconception. But that's not the way I see you. Moses, listen, I've got great things in store for you. I've got great purpose in mind. I'm going to be with you. And if I'm with you, something's going to happen when I'm with you. You're going to hear my voice. You're going to hear me give you instruction. You're going to hear me declare over you who you are. We have Gideon in a wine press hiding in a cistern. And God shows up. He's terrified. And God shows up and says, mighty warrior. See, Fear of the Lord and, and, and taking heed to his word. Fear of the Lord just simply means we behold him in such a way where we invite him into every space of our life. We see his glory. We see his power. We see his wisdom. We see that he is so much bigger than we are. And that his plan will take us so much further than ours. And so many times we just confuse with, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And God might be saying, I, I want you to first know who you are. And many of us don't believe what God has spoken over us. Because many times we're so distracted by just what God wants us to do. God's like, man, I want to speak. I want you to believe in who I say that you are. But if the enemy can distract you from beholding, he can discourage you from believing. And then we start to live out of these different places and out of these identities that God has never called us to. You know what's so special about the Lord? You know, it... Shout out to the warriors. You are a warrior. Your word says in Exodus, Lord, I will declare that throughout this season. But let's be honest. The Lord knows what he's doing. You put this ball in my hands, it's worth about 10 bucks. From Walmart, if you get a deal, maybe, maybe $9.99. But if you put this ball in Steph Curry's hand millions, gazillions of dollars, right? Right, you take a golf club, you put it in my hands, it's a hot mess and broken windows. <laughs> if I can keep the ball on the course for the whole day, it's a great day for me. But you put that in Tiger's hand, it's championships. And, and it's, it's amazing, what I'm saying today is that when we begin to fear the Lord and behold his word, and allow the Spirit of God to transform us more and more into His image, what we're just simply doing is placing our lives into the hand of the professional. That, that in our hands, being true to ourselves, you're only going to be able to take your life to a certain level. But God, your life in His hands, I'm with you. God will do things in your life that you never even thought possible. Never thought possible. It's not just about what we do. It's about believing who God says that we are. Let me close with this passage. It says, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. Some of you just need to hear that today. Your life would change today if you realize this reality of God saying, I am with you. Consider your ways. I am with you. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the spirit of Joshua and the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. I love this because this word stirred, it means awakened. But how many of us, so many, so many times we're, we're, we're waiting for the stirring before the obeying. Here we see the obeying and then came the stirring. 
So it was, I'm going to behold, I'm going to take you at your word, God. It may not, I, I'm not even stirred yet. But I just believe that you're the professional. I'm going to put my life into your hands. And as they took that step of faith of obedience, God began to stir their hearts. The feelings came. We like to say choices lead and feelings follow. Begin to stir their hearts to build again. So I'm just asking you today to consider your ways. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit as a follower of Jesus. Are you investing in God's house? Or are you just building your own? If you're building your own, hey, no condemnation. Just consider your ways. Come back and realize that God is with you. Fear him. See how beautiful he is and how majestic, so much smarter than we are. And just put your, hand, your, your life in his hands once again. Obey the Lord and see that he won't stir your heart and awaken a brand new reality, a fresh vision to build.